Hi, this is Jose Figueroa with an approved workman where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. Welcome to another week of Bible study. I am so glad you're here as we open up God's word one more time. Our current series is Living Hope, a study of the book of 1 Peter. If you're new to this Bible teaching ministry, here's how you can learn more about it. First, go to our website, www.anapprovedworkman.org. That's anapprovedworkman.org. On the website, you can learn more about the purpose of this ministry, our approach to Bible study, and also review our statement of faith. You can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music, as well as other podcast directories. On the website also, you can listen to previous episodes of our current series on First Peter or any episodes from our previous Bible study series. If you are on social media, you can connect with an approved workman there too. I'm on Instagram at an approved workman. Our Pinterest profile is pinterest.com slash an approved workman. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash inapprovedworkman215. Finally, if you're watching the video version of this lesson, make sure you subscribe to our channel on either YouTube or Rumble to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Today, we are in lesson number 11 in the series Living Hope from the book of 1 Peter. This study is part one of our series, Strangers and Pilgrims, which covers 1 and 2 Peter. The lesson is titled, Living in Readiness, part two, and our focus passage is 1 Peter chapter five, verses eight through 14. In this chapter, Peter exhorts both elders and church members to stay humble and to stand firm. In our previous episode, we began our study of 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter is exhorting both elders and church members to be in a state of readiness. As believers, we should always remember that while we are in this world, we ought to live humbly with one another while standing firm in our faith until the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our lesson last time, we saw how Peter encouraged the church elders and shepherds to take good care of the Lord's people, to protect them, to feed them with the word of God. In other words, to shepherd the Lord's sheep. Serve people. Give your best for them. Invest your life in them. Give your life for them. That's what Jesus did. That's what his shepherds should do selfless service to his people for his sake. Peter also encouraged the church members to submit to the authority of the elders in humility. We can have differences of opinion, but in the end, humble submission to authority is the best path towards unity. So let's review the principle and application from part one of our teaching from 1 Peter 5. That was the division, stay humble, verses 1 through 7. The principle, in God's kingdom, humility is the way to unity and readiness. In God's kingdom, humility is the way to unity 
and readiness. As a way of application, we ask these questions. How are you relating to those the Lord has assigned to your care? And how are you relating to those the Lord has put in authority over you? If you miss that previous lesson, I encourage you to either listen to the podcast episode or watch the video of that lesson. In today's lesson, we will complete our study of 1 Peter chapter 5, and this also will close our study of Peter's first letter. Peter has a final word of encouragement and warning for the believers. He wants them to stand firm in the grace they have received. So here is a lesson outline and goal for our teaching from 1 Peter 5. Last time we looked at the first division, stay humble. Today we will focus on our second division, stand firm, verses 8 through 14. And the goal for the lesson today and the entire teaching from 1 Peter 5 is this, to encourage believers to remember that while we are in this world, we ought to live humbly with one another while standing firm in our faith until the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the goal for the lesson today is this, to encourage believers to remember that while we're in this world, we ought to live humbly with one another while standing firm in our faith until the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get started and go to our second and final division from 1 Peter 5, Stand Firm, verses 8 through 14. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. 1 Peter 5, 8-14 through 14. In verse 8, Peter now encourages everyone to be of sober spirit and to be on the alert or to be watchful. Let's start with the call to be of sober spirit. This is something we also saw in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 13. And we look at that in our lesson on chapter 1, Living as God's Elect, Part 2. This idea of being of sober spirit has the idea of getting self-control to curb the controlling influence of inordinate emotions or desires and therefore become reasonable. 
This is also conceived of as sobering up from the influence of alcohol. Instead, we are to be only under the influence of the Holy Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 5, 16 through 18. Then we look at chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and we saw a call to live with urgency and to be ready. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. We are to be alert at all times. We have to be in a state of readiness. Jesus encouraged his disciples to live in a state of readiness as they awaited his return. You can check Matthew 24, 44, and 45, and Matthew 26, verse 41. Paul had the same sense of urgency in mind when he wrote to the Ephesian believers. And why is Peter then returning to this point? Why must they be sober in spirit and on the alert? Because they have an enemy who does not rest, Satan. Peter reminds them that their adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking to devour anyone. Who is Satan? Well, according to the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, quote, he is opposed to God and seeks to alienate all men from God. Therefore, he is a specially dangerous foe of Christians who must steadfastly resist him and see through his cunning. Satan works his evil will by tempting persons, by hindering God's workers, by accusing Christians before God, and by controlling the evil persons who resist the the gospel, especially the Antichrist. End quote. But while he's a dangerous foe, Satan has been defeated by Christ. Listen again also from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Quote, While Satan is still a dangerous enemy, Jesus himself prays for us and has given us the powerful weapons of prayer, faith, and his blood. End quote. And again, that's an entry by Walter Elwell and Barry J. Bitzel in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. And as we continue in verse 9 of 1 Peter 5, because of Jesus' victory over Satan, believers can and are called to resist him firm in their faith. This is a reminder that we are, as Christians, in a battle, a spiritual battle. Satan cannot affect your salvation, but that does not mean he's going to stop persecuting and troubling you. And while the enemy has been defeated, He will seek to rob you of your joy, to disrupt your fellowship with your Lord, and to destroy your witness and your ministry. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 10.10 In his Bible commentary, Dr. Tony Evans speaks on what the devil wants for you and how you can overcome him. He says, quote, The devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for food. He wants to keep you from advancing God's kingdom on earth and don't think you can fly under his radar. He wants to destroy you, so be firm in the faith. Remember that you can conquer Satan 
but only through your obedience to Jesus Christ. End quote. In his Bible commentary, Dr. John MacArthur speaks on how important it is for us to be grounded on the word as we resist the devil. He says, quote, The way to resist the devil is not with special formulas or words directed at him and his demons, but by remaining firm in the Christian faith. This means to continue to live in accord with the truth of God's word. As a believer knows sound doctrine and obeys God's truth, Satan is withstood. End quote. There you have it. Knowledge and obedience, wisdom and application. You not only need to know the truth, you need to walk in the truth in obedience to Jesus Christ. I thought it would be a good idea to have an illustration of this idea of how Satan persecutes believers as a roaring lion. And I believe the Old Testament provides us with a greater illustration of this truth. King Saul was the first man to occupy the throne of the kingdom in Israel. However, he was a man who was not completely loyal to Yahweh, to the Lord. Saul was constantly driven by fear by wanting to be a people pleaser and by pride. And he was consistently disobedient to the Lord. In response, the Lord declared that he would take the kingdom away from Saul's house and transfer it to a man after his own heart, David. David was not by any means perfect or sinless, but he was loyal to Yahweh. He never wavered in that commitment to the Lord. He exhibited unwavering believing loyalty, as it is documented in 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Because of this situation, Saul became David's bitter enemy and sought to kill him even after David had been a faithful servant to him. Saul intended to cling onto the kingdom for his house. As a result, David was constantly in fear for his life. His enemy pursued him relentlessly. Sound familiar? Eventually, David, under great fear and pressure, escaped to enemy territory, to the Philistines. David, at that time, was operating under his own wisdom and strength and then found himself in a very difficult spot. He lived outside Yahweh's sacred space, meaning Israel, for 18 months. However, even as David did not act with great wisdom or faith, God preserved and delivered him. He protected David from Saul. He kept David from having to fight his own people when the Philistines engaged Israel. And even as a band of Amalekites stole the families and possessions of David and his men, the Lord enabled him to recover everything and everyone without loss. And eventually, in God's perfect timing, Saul's reign came to an end, and all the promises God made to David regarding his rule over Israel came forth. David reigned in Israel for 40 
years. As believers today, we are in a similar situation to David. We belong to God's kingdom. We are his people. We have a glorious future promised to us. Nothing and no one can change that fact. John 10, 27-29, Romans 8, 37-39. And yet, we must remember that while we are in our pilgrimage, we are in a spiritual battle, and we also have a relentless enemy. As we saw in our study of 1 Peter 4, we need to be prepared by wearing the armor of God. The good news is, is that we don't fight this battle in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. Satan attacks and we resist. We stand firm. James calls us to the same fight by submitting to God in humility without pride. Look at James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have a way to stand in this battle. We have a way to win this battle in the strength of the Lord. At his lowest point, going back to our illustration, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginnings in verse 3. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jeshwilites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Also, David was in great distress because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. Here is the key. But David felt strengthened in the Lord his God. 1 Samuel 30, verses 3-6. to David found his strength in the Lord. We must also always remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Human beings, they are the visible tools of the enemy, but not the real enemy. Dr. N.T. Wright encourages to remember this fact. He says, quote, For most of the time in this letter, we have been aware of persecution coming from the surrounding non-Christian culture. How easy it would have been, as it still is, for the Christians then to demonize their visible human opponents, to regard them as the real source of the problem. But even your fiercest human persecutors are not in fact the real enemy. There is a real enemy, and he will be using them. End quote. And in this fight, we are not alone. Not only we find our strength in our Lord, but in each other as well. Peter wants us to remember that all Christians, fellow believers all over the world, are experiencing the same trials and persecution. We can encourage one another. We can pray for one another. 
We are in this together. And as we move ahead in verses 10 through 11 of 1 Peter 5, we know that we fight this battle with the certainty of victory. Peter tells them that they're, after they have suffered for a little while, their final outcome is determined. Just like David's future was secure in the Lord. Peter reminds his audience that the God of all grace, the one who called them to his eternal glory in Christ, will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish them. All these terms have a similar idea. He will make us whole. He will strengthen us. He's our firm foundation. He is the one who makes us immovable in him. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. In his commentary on 1 Peter, Dr. R.C. Sproul speaks of God's unique ability to accomplish this goal of keeping us safe and immovable in him. He says, quote, He's not just the God of grace or just a gracious God, but he is the God of all grace. God's eternal glory, which is in him alone from all eternity, he will not share with any man. Nevertheless, by His grace, He has called us to participate in it. The only one who can perfect us is God. The only one who is able to establish us is God. The only one who can give us abiding strength is God. The only one who can settle us is God. End quote. As believers, we are ourselves protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that it is to be revealed in the last time, meaning the end of the age. While we're living here on this earth as strangers and pilgrims, God himself protects us as we live by faith. We live with the great expectation, the living hope of our glorification to be revealed in the last days. And that glorification is the last stage of our salvation, of our redemption. First, we were justified, saved from the penalty of sin. Now, we are being sanctified, being saved from the power of sin. Then, at the return of Jesus Christ, at the end of the age, we will be glorified and saved from the presence of sin. And we will be with Him and God the Father forever. This is our living Moving ahead to verse 12 of 1 Peter 5, Peter is closing this epistle. He starts by acknowledging his scribe, Silvanus, uh, whom he regards as a faithful brother. This is a man we already know, Paul's faithful companion, Silas, who was also not only a companion of Paul, but a strong collaborator. Here is who Silas is according to the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Quote, also known as Silvanus in the New Testament, a church leader among the brothers at the Jerusalem church, 
he accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey, end quote. So with the help of Silvanus, Peter reminds his audience that the reason he wrote this letter, the objective of this letter, is to exhort them and to testify to the true grace of God. He wants them to stand firm in that grace. He Again, there is that call to them again to stand firm. It's a reminder. It's an encouragement. He's telling them, you have a great salvation because of God's grace. You have a great God who is able to keep you. You have a great and glorious future, an eternal future. So he's telling them, don't falter, but stand firm. Earthly suffering is temporal. Heavenly glory is eternal. In verses 13 and 14, Peter sends greetings from the church in Babylon, meaning Rome, who along with them is chosen. So why does Peter use the term Babylon to refer to Rome? Because Rome is the current world empire who is in opposition to God. And as we saw in our Revelation study, Babylon represents the opposition system to God, driven, engineered by Satan. From the Tower of Babel to the Babylonian Empire to the Roman Empire, under which Peter and his audience is living, Babylon opposes God and persecutes his people. So the name is more than appropriate. Peter also sends greeting from his son, Mark. Who is Mark? According to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, this man was, quote, the son of Mary, cousin of Barnabas, and missionary companion of Paul and Barnabas. According to church tradition, John Mark was the author of the Gospel of Mark, end quote. It is understood by most scholars that Mark composed his Gospel account with Peter as the primary source of information, the primary eyewitness. Finally, Peter encourages them to greet each other with a kiss of love. He closes with a prayer for peace for all of them who are in Christ. It's a reminder to brotherhood to live in love with one another, as Jesus asked all of us in John 13, 35. And it's also a prayer for the peace of God that's available to all of his people as we read in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, together with one another, together in Christ. We can stand firm. We can stand ready. In his Bible commentary on 1 Peter, Dr. Warren Wiersbe provides us with a great summary of all the encouragement we have received from Peter on this letter. He says, quote, Peter has given to us a precious letter that encourages us to hope in the Lord no matter how trying the times may be. Down through the centuries, the church has experienced various fiery trials, and yet Satan has not been able to destroy it. The church today is facing a fiery trial, and we must be prepared. But whatever may come, Peter is still saying to each of us, be hopeful. The glory is soon to come. End quote. Well, that is the end of our second and final division from 1 Peter 5. What's our principle? In God's kingdom, 
we are called to stand firm by faith. In God's kingdom, we are called to stand firm by faith. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. All that you do must be done in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 13-14 How are you making sure you are standing firm as you go through your pilgrimage on this earth? Well, that's our lesson for today. How can we apply what we have learned in this chapter, in this entire book of 1 Peter? I titled this series, Living Hope. As we close today, I want to leave you with a few reminders regarding how to embrace that living hope. First, we have to remember, we have to recognize that we have been granted a great salvation. It is secure, we can rejoice in it. We can rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ at the cross. We have been redeemed. We have been rescued from death unto life, from the kingdom of darkness unto the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Second, we belong to God's family. In Christ, we have access to the Father. Everybody who comes to Jesus Christ by faith belongs to God's family. We are sons and daughters of the King. We are in this together. Third, we have been commissioned with a grand purpose, a grand purpose to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into light. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood. We have work to do for the kingdom. And finally, in spite of our many issues, our suffering, our tribulation, and even our own sin, our future in Christ in heaven is secured. Nothing and no one can change that. We are in the Son's hands. We are in the Father's hands. We belong to them. We are in Christ. Our glorious future is secure. So we have a great salvation. We belong to God's family. And we have a grand purpose that tells us that we also have a glorious future. I believe this is summarized perfectly in our key scripture passage for this series. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Embrace your living hope. That concludes our teaching from 1 Peter chapter 5. Thank you for being here today. In our next episode, we will have an introductory lesson to our study of Peter's second letter. Until then, this is Jose Figueroa for an approved workman where we are rightly divided, the word of truth. <laughs>